Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. On today's episode, we're joined by Kamaria Scott, founder and CEO of Enetic, a boutique consulting firm and host of the Manager to Manager podcast. Kamaria brings over 20 years of experience implementing human-centered learning and OD solutions, all built around improving corporate culture, performance, and the employee experience for organizations across the healthcare, financial services, and technology industries. She's held senior roles throughout Fortune 500 companies, including Accenture, where she led the Futurists and Insights team as part of their Global Employee Experience Transformation Unit, Bank of New York Mellon, and FIS, where she was the head of curriculum and instructional design. As part of her mission to help managers lead engaged, healthy, and high-performing teams, Kamaria launched her boutique consulting firm, Anetic, in 2015 and has led thought-provoking discussions across the HR community as a public speaker and recently jumped into the podcast hosting game with the Manager to Manager podcast that was launched in early 2023. Look, we first got to meet Kamaria as she joined us for a panel discussion as part of the HR Now Turnover and Retention live event that we hosted recently. And the conversation was so great that I wanted to bring her back on here and introduce her to this HR Works audience and dig into a topic that really matters right now, and that's that employee experience. So let's get her introduced. Kamaria, welcome to the HR Works podcast, and thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It is great to have you again. Great to speak with you again. And we first met as you joined that panel and it was such a great discussion that I wanted to bring you back in, really dig into your career, your journey, and some of these great topics that you care and are so passionate about and want to pay forward to the HR community. I'm excited to talk about it. Employee experience is absolutely my passion. So anytime I have a chance to come and speak and share, I'm all over it. Fantastic. All right. Well, let's get started with really getting you introduced and share your story What was that initial spark that led you to pursuing a career around human resources and people operations? Why HR? Yes. So I like to say I'm I'm somebody who went to HR on purpose, and I'm going to date myself a little bit. Back in the day, I used to work for AOL. And right when I was coming out of high school, I was just going into college, and I worked for them that wonderful summer when they went from like the hourly plan to the unlimited plan. And so everybody always remembers hearing that, you've got mail, right? Of course. For those of us that are my age, we know what that sound meant. It meant like the world was at your fingertips. The interesting thing about working for AOL during that period was that that plan was more successful than they had planned for. And so for those of us working in the call center, it was like absolute torture because we were on the phones morning till night. But what was so amazing about working there during that time was it was my first glimpse of corporate culture. It was the first time that I worked for an organization that felt like for us, we were going through this difficult time, but they had this amazing way of showing that we were all in it together. So you have managers who'd be like, put your cone up if you need help. And they'd run over to your desk. They'd push a comfort cart up and down the aisle with like pizza and koozies and blankets, whatever you needed. There was just this sense of we, and I thought, my gosh, I I love the idea of this. Coincidentally, at the same time I was in college, as I mentioned, and and failing principles of macroeconomics. So I said to myself, I want to work in business, but clearly not in finance. And I had a professor hand me a VHS tape, because I told you I'm a little seasoned, that talked about IO psychology, and that is the study of people at work. And so at the same time that I'm having this work experience where I'm really 
honing into culture, I'm also now learning that there's a whole profession that I can go into that talks about people and their experiences with work. So it was just like this synergy that happened for me. And I went right into sort of psychology and IO psychology and HR right from the very beginning. That is fantastic. What a great way to get started and really find that passion in leading and working with people and the psychology behind what makes people tick. I think that's so interesting and certainly an area that you'll keep learning about as you keep going. There's no end to that goal. No, there's not. And and what I will say that really also helped was coming out of then school and starting, I had the opportunity to work in so many facets of HR because I was trying to find out like, what do I do with this? So I went into learning and development first and I spent a few years there And so I really got to sort of understand how we develop and train people. And then I worked for a healthcare system where my main focus there was to help managers interpret their employee engagement results and think about how do they action plan around that. And that's when I knew, like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Um, And then I went on to do that at an organization um, that had 47,000 employees and really was in charge of the employee experience and the guest experience. And being able to marry those two things was really incredible because you could really see the direct impact of how we treat our employees really does impact our guests and ultimately our bottom line. The other benefit of working in that organization was that I actually reported into operations and not HR. And so I got to see the day-to-day lives of people who were in the field, if you will, or in operations, and I could directly understand how HR policies impacted them, or even when leaders on their side would be like, we're not doing that. That's not practical. Go away. Um, so understanding the, the experience and even how to implement it was something I learned along the way. Oh, that's fantastic. Sometimes that's the best way to understand your impact within an organization, your team's impact, is to be in different facets, to be in the operation piece and see where HR's impact was and really how the employees reacted to decisions that were made from the HR team and how they're putting into practice really where the impact is. That's a great way to learn and just really know what you can do for an organization. Yes. All right. Well, one thing I really wanted to look at today was this idea around employee experience. As you mentioned, you've had great experience through your 20 plus years in human resources of really working and honing into the employee experience. And we've seen over the last few years that there's been no greater impact the employee experience, I would say at least, then the pandemic, then 2020, where we just saw a cataclysmic change to all of our, our lives, but certainly to the employee experience, to the working world. How has our understanding of employee experience changed since 2020? Yes, that's, that's a wonderful question. I think for me, and I was working internally during the pandemic, and I think the greatest shift or change was the fact that we actually began to see employees as human people. And I know that might sound strange, but, you know, we, we traditionally had this separation between work and home life. And we were like, you know, work is over here and home is over there. And we even had distance between the two for a lot of people. And then we came to this realization or this place where work was in our living room or in our kitchen and we're holding our babies while we're in meetings and we're showing up in the most natural versions of ourselves. Right. Um, my team was notorious for you know gym clothes. Um, but we got to see people's whole lives because they were integrated all at once. And I think seeing people's whole lives and having that greater understanding changed the perception of what we needed to do for people. And I think it helped organizations to really realize that we do have to care for the whole person 
that we can't just think of, of employees as these pieces or these cogs or these resources that make our company go and think that what's their well-being and what they need is separate from what we need to care about. So I think the appreciation for the entire person, for whether or not they are healthy, whether or not they are burnt out, grew as a result of the pandemic. I think we said we cared about it before, but I think we really care about it now. Yeah, no, that is so true that we all got to look into our colleagues' personal lives that, look, we all worked in the same space pre-2020. You thought you really knew people, but it wasn't until you saw maybe there was a book in the background or there was something in that backdrop that we all chose to present to our teams. And you understood, hey, I didn't realize that you were you played guitar. I didn't realize that you I didn't realize you had a cat. Uh, and it, it really <laughs> got us to share a bit more of ourselves and bring down uh, maybe some of the um, professionalism to a healthy level where you could really humanize with people. And again, in such a challenging time that really bonded us together, yeah. I think, as communities, as groups. From what I saw, you really learned what your team values were made of and what your culture truly was. Like, there's nothing that showed your culture more than how your teams responded to those difficult times, the days of deciding what we're going to do as as a team. How are we moving Mm -hmm. forward? I think it really tested culture and showed who had a strong culture, maybe who needed some help there. And I think I think the other thing for that is, you know, adding to that piece about well-being because the pandemic was so stressful for a lot of us that it really it really tested our resilience. And I think you definitely had to think about how do I care for my team? How do I care for them from a distance? And, and what resources do they need? What do we need to put in place? And I don't think you can undo that thinking. Now that I think we see that employees have different needs and we better understand their life circumstances, it positions us better to be thinking about organizationally, how can we help them be at their best so that they can better support the organization? Yeah, so well said. Now, you mentioned right at the top that humanizing a lot of our colleagues was certainly something that we saw change and shift in the employee experience since 2020. But was there something else that really stuck out as maybe that most important and meaningful change to the employee experience? I would say, honestly, personalization. You know, and and I, I talk about, and I think I mentioned this on our last chat together, technology has made it so that everybody is almost the center of their own universe. And I think the analogy I use is like you used to be in the house and everybody had to watch the same TV. So if you were watching a show, everybody was watching it. And now with technology, you know, I'm downstairs watching TV on my phone. My son's upstairs in his room. Technology has allowed us to have such a personalized experience. And I think that has shifted to the workplace as well where when we think about what employees need and want, they are centering their own lives and their preferences toward work are what's going to fit best into my life instead of me wrapping myself around the organization and what the organization needs. So there's a greater shift of balance there to say, you know, the organization kind of used to be like, this is what we want and these are our rules and these are our norms, fit into them. And now employees are like, "Mm, this is my life. This is what I value. These are my norms. How can you fit into what I need to do? Right. Well, that seemed to really drive that great resignation we saw early on, too, as so many employees were looking at, okay, how does work fit into my life? Not how does my life fit into work? Mm-hmm. There was that reset that, that, that we're, we've really been seeing play out now. And, and again, being more of a talent-driven marketplace that we're in, employers are now having to respond and really think about their strategy and create that employee experience that fits where we are culturally today. Yes. It's so interesting. I remember being on a town hall early pandemic when so many people were starting to go home and in HR talking about the impact. And one thing that immediately struck me was 
how were we going to compete? Because, you know, a lot of times a talent strategy is driven by location. And so you don't necessarily have to be the best employer. You just have to be the best employer in your city, right? Right, And so when you have now the pandemic and you have working from home and you have technology that lets us work from anywhere, I don't have to work where I live. I could work for an employer in Paris, France or Paris, Texas from my home in Florida. And so the value proposition that an organization has to have to now attract the best talent has to go way up because maybe I was in a small town and your factory was the only thing or the biggest thing in town. And now I'm like, well, wait a minute, maybe I get a different job where I can work remotely and I can think about how I can work with somebody else. And so I think the competition for talent is still something that's really heating up because there are more options to people through technology. I really haven't, you know, in all of my years of HR, I think the last gosh, 10 years, I never supported anybody in my direct location. And I've always worked for people who weren't headquartered where I live. Right. So that I think is really forcing organizations to think about what is your value proposition when the location, the physical location is not your draw. Right. It's expanded that value proposition as well. It's not just salary anymore. There's so much more to build into that experience. It's really brought employee experience to the forefront, and teams can figure out different ways to compete with other aspects beyond just salary. Not everybody can play that game and be the highest bidder, but can you meet employees in other ways? And maybe it's flexibility, which is certainly valued by some employees. Maybe it's, again, offering certain benefits that can really be unique and create that work-life balance. Mm -hmm. So it's really falling to HR teams to get creative and think strategically, okay, how do we set up our EVP to really be competitive and stand out? Yes. Yes. It's difficult. It's challenging. There's a lot of competition out there. So I don't envy them right now. <laughs> it certainly is a, uh, it's a unique and creative marketplace that we're in, no doubt. Now, Kamaria, one thing you mentioned there that I loved, and here's one I really wanted to dig into in this conversation around employee experience, was that idea of personalization. That's certainly been something we've seen take off over the last few years, and especially more so post-2020, as we found that working from home was possible and that there was flexibility that was possible. I love that you mentioned there was a time when we all used to watch the same TV program or we all used to listen to the same top 10 radio station, (laughs) radio station. Absolutely. Right. It's that idea of like the monoculture has shifted to where it's a much more personalized culture. And the same could be said with workplaces. So as we see that employee experience continuing to grow and become more personalized, whether it's again, where we work, how we dress, when we work, if you're working asynchronously, how we communicate, maybe even how we learn and upskill as we've seen L&D really develop. How can HR teams really help ensure their company culture remains solid, shared, and unified? Yeah. You know, that's a really great question. And and I want to first hone in the word that you used, which was remain, which implies that it was before. And I think what, what, what the pandemic actually showed a lot of us was that maybe our company culture wasn't as strong as we thought it was. We just all happened to be in the same place. Maybe we took for granted a lot of things that felt like culture that maybe weren't, they were just proximity. And so thinking about, okay, so what does that mean for us now? And so I think there's like, there's a couple ways to think about culture. I think one is, you know, culture is very simplistically, this is how we live here, right? This is the rules, the norms, the languages. It's how we make shared meaning of our space and time together. And that happens at two different levels. So it kind of happens at the org level. Here are some of the the things that we say are, you know, signature to our our company. These are things that we deliberately 
create that are us. And that is when we say our values or we say these are our slogans or mottos, the larger organizational things. And then there's like the day-to-day experience that drives culture. What happens when I show up? Because quite frankly, most of us experience culture on a macro level in our immediate teams. And so when I think about bringing culture to life, it's how do we as an organization establish, you know, what are the things that we do value? What do we want to stand for? What do we want the experience to be? But then how do we focus on disseminating that through the organization? And I think one of the great ways to do that is to ensure that you have culture keepers and and to use your people leaders as a way to do that. Let's say we value flexibility. If you have one people leader who was like, yes, I value flexibility as such, my team can flex their start times, they can rotate their days. And then you have another um, another leader that's like, flexibility, girl, we work eight to five here, right? The experience of the person on that team is, this is not a flexible organization, no matter what we've written in our policy. So the implementation of that and how we push it down through our, our business units and through our teams is what's critical. And so what I would say is, you know, on an organizational level, pick the things that you think are important, not a ton of them, but pick the ones that you think are really, that will really differentiate your organization and then challenge your business units and your people leaders to bring them to life in the way that makes the most sense because it's not going to be uniformed. You have different cultures, you have different countries, you have different countries that have different laws. Right. So when you start to think about how you bring something to life in an organization, it's not going to always be one size fits all. But what it can be is what's the most appropriate way for, for you to bring this to life for your teams and for your people, and where can you give them choice? And so I think as long as you're able to think about where you are building flexibility and choice into your culture, and you can point to those options, that's how you can make it personalized for people by saying, here, our choices around flexibility are, maybe it's rotating days and they get to choose that. Maybe the way that we we, we build connection is, these are the events that our teams have, or here are the rotations that we, we build so people can meet one another and, and start to build networks. But it's focusing on the, how are you bringing that to life in a meaningful way at the various levels in your organization? That is so good. Yeah, you have to be intentional about certain aspects, certain facets of your organization, of your culture, and really define those. I love that you broke down the flexibility idea that you could have one team that embraces flexibility in terms of location, when you work, how you work, to where another team manager within that same group could even look at flexibility to your point and say, like, we all work nine to five. Maybe flexibility to them is take your lunch when you feel is best. You can take your lunch between 12 and two, and I'm not going to dictate when when you have to sign off. Vastly different looks at flexibility. So from an organization, from a culture standpoint, define what flexibility means for your group. Be intentional there. We talk so much within the podcast, and I say it often, that you need to be intentional with your people. And that's maybe something we've seen change is time with people needs to be more intentional. But even who you are and what your group stands for, what your values are within an organization, what your mission statement is, needs to be intentional as well. Absolutely. That was the biggest lesson for a lot of people coming out of the pandemic is, and again, you heard me say, I think what we thought was culture was really just proximity. Yeah. We talk about like the water cooler, like we just happen to pass each other in the hallway. And for people leaders, it made it really easy because we were all in the same place. And then the biggest struggle that I've seen with people leaders post pandemic is having to actually figure out how to do the things that just sort of naturally happened and were second nature. And so you know, water cooler talk looks like, well, actually, I spend 15 minutes just chatting it up with my team before we start a meeting. 
Um, I don't shrink them down to 45 minutes because I want to, I want to know what's going on with them. Uh, or it looks like, you know, I, maybe I do schedule chit chat time and people know what it is. I schedule 10 minutes just for us to talk about whatever, right? I have office hours, whatever it is. I think there's the need to have intentionality in how you show up. And we, we just didn't think about a lot of these things before. And that is where a lot of the struggle and change that as HR, we're trying to help people navigate is helping them leave their old mindsets that were fixed in our fixed buildings and think about what are the new mindsets, what are the new approaches, what are the new ways that we need to exist in order to be successful in our new environments and our new ways of working. Yeah, that is such a great way to look at it. I love what you said earlier too about maybe the pandemic taught us that certain organizations didn't have a culture. Really the employee experience wasn't what we thought it was. I've even jotted down just in quick notes, culture doesn't equal proximity. And I think we learned so much through that. So what's the best way for our audience here being a lot of HR leaders and members of HR teams to measure their culture, to measure their employee experience and really see how strong it truly is? So there's there's a lot of ways to do that. And I attended a wonderful session just the other day on, on employee listening. I think, you know, employee listening is back in the day, we used to call it employee engagement, right? And everyone had their employee engagement survey. And we started off with asking all of our good questions. But now there's so much more data available to leaders to start to understand the experience. I mean, you have your your overt questions that you can ask, right? You have your HRIS data that can tell you interesting things like, well, which teams have the most turnover? Like what leaders are people leaving? Everything is digitized. So you could often see what are the accessing in the organization. You know, really through organizational network analysis, who are our people who have the most influence? So there's data all around us that can help us understand the experience. However, you can also lean a little too much on technology. I think making sure that you have really established feedback systems in place that allow you to understand not only the quantitative information, but the qualitative information of people's experiences. Because what sometimes happens is that we collect so much data about the experience, then we start to make assumptions about what that data is telling us, instead of making sure we have the right interpretation of the key messages that people are wanting to share with us. So, you know, as much as you can, I know we have vast, vast organizations, as much as you can, make sure that you do have some sort of survey that you're using. You have some strategy that helps you collect data and both internally and externally, because I, you know, with the rise of Fishbowl and Glassdoor, people are very honest about their experiences outside of the organization. So that's another data set you can use. But also, I think it's really important to still make time for real life conversations. In all of my years in HR, I, I was probably known as somebody, I'd always be like, hey girl, or hey, hey friend, because I would just call and ask people about what's going on in your world. How are things? Tell me about what you do. And that helped me have more insight into what their experience was and how the things we did affected them, just sometimes through casual conversation, than trying to uh, rely on this mass data set. And so if everyone in HR has some non-HR friends they can tap into, just as a starting point, because you want to get you want to get a feel for what's happening before you go design an instrument. Yeah. I think as an IO psychologist, we always talk about like, we start with observation first before we go test a theory. And I think really starting with observation first and thinking about what do I know? What have I heard? Those are really good ways to understand experience before you start digging into a data set. Yeah, almost have your own focus group of colleagues you can rely on, people you can check in with just to make sure the pulse is still healthy within an organization. I love that you mentioned too, having that balance between data and personability. Uh, you yeah. can really get dig into the numbers 
a ton. And, and sometimes the data can just tell you what you're looking for. Um, you can almost spin the story out of the data to give you that positive story. But when you ask that question of, hey, how did this go over? What's the vibe of the group right now? Sometimes you'll get that feedback that the numbers won't show you or may disguise. Yes. And I think one of the other things I wanted to kind of just hone in on is when we think employee experience, like we think this big overarching behemoth of a topic, but everything is an experience. And so for my HR friends, a lot of times we're thinking holistically about culture, but sometimes we can be going through something, implementing something, and we need to understand the experience of that thing. So when we say experience, you know, we really want to target in what experience are you talking about, right? Whose experience are you talking about? Because I can tell you, and this was kind of a funny story. Anyone who knows me knows that I am passionate about the manager experience because I like to say it's a full contact sport. You have a lot of responsibility for really helping people navigate the organization. And so we, I was in an organization and we had simply, we had rolled out a new process, think, speaking of, of, of COVID, of thinking about who was coming to the office, who wasn't coming to the office. So we had this new tool that we were getting ready to use. And I remember um, you know, getting it from the experience of being a people leader, but also people leader working in HR. And I'm talking to one of my colleagues and she goes, have you tried like the new tool we're supposed to use to figure out where our teams are working? And I was like, no, have you tried it? And so we both go in it together and we're like, the steps don't work. Like what happens, right? And then, so we have to go back to the team. And we're like, hey, this thing that you rolled out, it, it doesn't work, <laughs> right? right? And we rolled it out now to like 7,000 managers. And the reason why I say that is because I picked up the phone and I called my friend in that department and was like, want to give you some feedback. And so having those relationships, when we think about, you know, leading change and we think about culture, we think about experience, a lot of times HR, we are leading our own initiatives and we're creating our own experiences for people. And so it's really important. We may not always have the survey or the data or the whatever to give us feedback. So that's why our own relationships are really important because we need to be thinking about what experience are we creating for other people. Uh, that's great. And I love that you touched on relationships too. That relationship really seems so important between HR and leadership teams and your management teams as well. Because I mean, that's going to have such a big ripple effect across the organization, ultimately driving that employee experience. Absolutely. Because if the leader doesn't buy in or you don't understand the leader's experience, then you lose credibility with them. And I think I, I mentioned to you early on that, you know, I've had the benefit of working both in HR doing HR work in operations and, and kind of straddling the fence. And so knowing what we were trying to achieve in HR and then having operations and business leaders look at me like I had two heads and say that will never work here and, and then trying to find the middle ground. And so thinking about the experience that we're creating for people who are doing the work and who have to bring these things to life is an important part of thinking about employee experience as well. Yeah, so well said. Now, Kamaria, as we're looking at creating that great employee experience and just the role that HR leaders can play in that. I think it also helps to understand some of the red flags, some of the challenges, so you know what's coming. So when you're part of that full contact sport, you're really seeing the hits before they come. So what are some of those threats and challenges that, that teams and HR leaders specifically need to be looking out for that could impact the employee experience? Yeah. One of the main things that we need to be looking out for and, and help our non-HR counterparts also work through as well, because I think it straddles both sides, is people are change fatigued. We have had so much change compressed in a short amount of time 
that people are weary and they are tired and we are, and we're still continuing to change, but we have to, we have to evolve. And so I think one of the things for me that I always wave a red flag about is we have to make change as palatable as we can for people. We've got to pave the road and make it as smooth as we can because any additional friction that's in the change process no matter what that change is, whether you're changing from your eight, one HRS system to another, or one performance management system to another, we've got to be mindful of the impact of change on people. Because to your point, I mean, we've just compressed so much and we all used to go into the office and now we're all working from home and we're all fluid in technology and we're all, you know, we're, we're, we're buying companies, we're changing companies, we're laying off people. There's just so much happening. And so Dealing with that and acknowledging that people are, are really wearing in that way, I think is something we have to focus on. You hit the nail right on the head with that one. Think of how much changed in the last three years in terms of working experience. I would say that the three, five years, 10 years prior, 2010 to 2020, I don't think saw anywhere as much change in the working experience to what we saw from 2020 to 2023 no. to where we are now. So there's a lot to juggle. So how can HR leaders, HR teams really help soften the blow with change, but really um, smooth that road for employees going through change? What can they do? Well, I think leading change is a skill set that I think HR itself needs to get better at. So quite often, I think we definitely work on, you know, what is the change itself, right? We treat it almost like a technology change. Take that one out, put this one in, ta-da, it's changed. And I think there are some behavioral science components and some things about human nature that we need to be thinking about when, when we are dealing with change and start focusing on the change experience that people go through. What happens to us when you take something away from us, you expect us to learn a new behavior or implement something new. And so I think first and foremost, I think as an HR, as, as, as an HR practice, we are all, our skill sets are typically around that thing that we do, but we all could be better versed in how do we lead change and what methodologies work best and how do we look at it from a human-centered perspective. I think we also can do a somewhat better job of using action learning, human-centered thinking, design thinking in our solutions so that we are closer to an easier change of point from point A to point B and we understand the implications before we roll it out. And then I think, as I mentioned before, about kind of that lifeline, making sure that we have some mechanism in place that allows people to, one, discuss, you know, and, and, and come to grips with whatever change is happening, but two, to wave a red flag themselves when whatever we've rolled out is not working. Because I think sometimes we sort of, um, and I hope my HR friends will be okay with me saying this, sometimes it feels like we just drop off a change and run away. <laughs> Right. And we don't stick around and be like, how was that for you? So I think, you know, getting a little bit better with and if it's not working, let us know, we'll fix it. So, you know, again, having that 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 understanding of how people experience change, how do we better navigate and lead them through it? How do we make sure all of those um, those checkpoints are accounted for? I'm a huge fan of using Adcar and other things like that. And then how do we make sure that we are really hearing and, and understanding the experience all the way through to the end? Yeah, it goes back to that importance of feedback and really using that to gauge how change goes over. Again, you may just look at the data and say, hey, the engagement's great here, but is it truly great? Are you really getting a good employee experience? They may be using the change or, or enacting with the change that you put into place, but has it been a difficult process? Are they really just doing it out of necessity, but not because it's a beneficial change? So ask those questions, get that feedback to really see where, um, where the team is. And 
check in periodically like we spoke about to get a sense of where the employee experience is at that current mm-hmm. moment. Yes. And I think there's something to also gauging people's change readiness. Is is now the time sure. for this change? Because I do think we we can roll full steam ahead without taking time to stop and take stock of where are people with this? What have we recently gone through? What might we need to take off people's plate to make this more palatable? And I think that goes back to, you know, I, I we've heard um, if you've heard one person who talks about, you know, listening, say it, you've heard a billion people say it, there is something about being reactive to the data you've received. And if you are getting signals from your people, if you're listening about experience and all of the cues are telling you that people are tired, that people are burnt out, there is time to stop and think about, is is this the change or is, or is this a 2024 change? You know, we got we to rank right. order these, right? And making sure that we are deliberate, we talked about intentionality in what changes are we making? Why do people even understand the what and why of those changes and how it benefits them? Um, and, and having some intentionality around when we put them into place to take into account, again, what people's current experiences are. Because I think it goes without being said, you can't just say, I acknowledge experience and then kind of go on and do your own thing as well. Yeah. You, whatever reaction or whatever thing you're planning or whatever you're working with, has to be in conjunction as an acknowledgement to what data you're receiving around the current experience. I'm so glad you brought it back to intentionality because I think that is so crucial here. Be intentional with your change, understand what that impact could be. But then also when you're making that decision, make sure it fits into those values you were being intentional of early on when you're establishing, okay, this is what our culture, this is what our employee experience should be. This is how we're defining flexibility. Now measure any changes that you're putting into place off of those things that you were initially intentional on. Hey, how does that impact the flexibility that we put really at the forefront of our employee experience? Yeah. What does that do? How does that, does that change how we're defining flexibility? Uh, and that's probably a good place to look as well. Absolutely. And, and I think there's even, you know, the opportunity to have really great communication around what you do and what you choose not to do, because there's nothing, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying that particular way of flexibility doesn't make sense for our business and here's why. Yeah. It's not that employees sort of want you to give them any and everything. I think what they sometimes want is an explanation or an understanding of why something is or is not happening. And so if you can't change the experience, you can't, I can't work in a manufacturing plant and work remotely, right? Explain that. Say it, right? Or right. There's limitations. There's limitations. Sure. And I think sometimes we shy away from, you know, telling people the why of not changing the experience. And that allows them to create their own stories. But you can also have great communication around what you've what you've chosen to do to help people and, and why the experience is the way it is, and also why you've not chosen to. And I think as an HR team, we have to get better at just explaining out some of the here's what changes we've made and here's why. And also, here's the things that we decided will stay the same, and here's why. And and we understand the impact it can have on your experience, but we want to make sure you understand why we made this decision. Yeah, that that is so well said. Now, here's the point, as I do this with many of my interviews, trying to provide our listeners with great takeaways, something they can jot down on a post-it, on a piece of paper on their desk as they're listening to this episode. So what's one thing that HR leaders can start doing differently today to improve their employee experience? Hands down, I would say co-create. Okay. I think it's very easy for us in HR, 
and who are very well trained in our discipline to come up with what we think are the right solutions or the right way forward on something, only to find that when we roll it out to the field or to to operations, they're like, what is this? And we have a greater chance of success of getting the thing that we think is important implemented if we, one, co-create on the front end and we and we talk to the leaders about what we're trying to achieve and then we enlist them on, on the how do we make this happen and make it right for you. So going back to what I said earlier, it's, not, it's always not going to be a one size fit all. But if we're looking to create a specific experience and we start with that intention, to the extent that we can have dialogue with our businesses and our teams and then say, how can we work together to build the right solution? One, we're closer to getting it right the first time. So it's not like we're wreaking havoc on people with things that don't work. And I know we, we rarely do that. So I, I don't want to put that out there as a thought, as a sentiment. But two, then you have the buy-in because now you're implementing an experience that they have helped create and you have senior leaders who understand it inside and out because they are one of the representatives of part of it and they become champions of it. So to the extent that we can co-create the experience with with our people and use their insights, then we are we are creating a better experience that works for everybody at the right levels. Yeah, it's a shared experience. And that goes back to that initial question of how do we create these shared unified experiences and cultures in such a personalized world and workspace? That's how, right? You create these shared experiences, you build that culture together, and you're going to get a lot closer to where you wanted to be from the start instead of, again, taking that shot and then having to react and pivot once it plays out. Yes. And it's different than saying, oh, it comes from up top. It really comes across, right? Because you are, yeah. you're asking people, well, what, what does flexibility even look like to you? And I remember I used to work with an organization that I, that I really loved because you know, they would, they had a standard practice of making sure that at every level, everyone had a verbal conversation once a quarter where you would say, you know, talk about specific topics. And I remember we were, you know, wanting to focus on recognition and we had an actual, like everyone and everyone's like quarterly conversation about it. They asked, well, like what, like, how would you like to be recognized? What's important to you? What ideas do you have? And what I loved about that, and of course, yes, technology lets us crowdsource a little bit better, but I liked the idea of, you know, we consistently focused at the same time. You had a conversation that got to, that that your people leader got to know you a little bit better. You got to explain your responses and why something was important to you. And and then we sort of rolled it all up. But it, then when we sort of said, okay, here's how we're going to take this and say, at this level, you know, as an organization, here's what we've heard and here's what we're going to do. And here's what we're asking people to do at department level. Here's what we're asking people to do at the team level. And we're all moving in the same direction together. And that is culture because now you have everyone swimming together in the same lane towards right. the same goal, even though it might've come together differently in different areas and pockets of the organization. Yeah. That's back to intentionality as well and really putting, again, a focus on on where you want to go, picking that end point uh, and getting the group to do it together. Yes. Fantastic. All right. Well, we're here with Kamaria Scott, founder and CEO of Inetic. Kamaria, is there something in the HR community that you've really been proud to see in the last year? What's the best thing you've seen out of the HR community in 2023? I think one of the things that I've seen in various organizations that I really love is HR honestly working better together 
and thinking about the totality of the experience and not just what's happening in their silo. And so not just I work in benefits or I work in learning, but you're seeing people think about the experience first. And then how do all of us in HR work together in an organization to make that experience come to life? What's my contribution? What's your contribution? And I don't know that we've always thought about it that way. I think there was, again, the benefits bubble and there's the learning bubble and there's the career bubble. But now I definitely am seeing more of a shift to HR teams taking a more holistic and integrated view as to how they're accomplishing the employee experience. You know, I'm, there are employee experience champions in the organization that, that work across the different functions. And I think that view is going to help this has started and is going to continue to help us be more successful because now we're thinking about if I if I want to have an outcome, well, I've got to think about how compensation comes into play because I can't just train people and say, be a better people leader if my compensation plan says I am absolutely not compensating you to be a better people right. leader. So I think the integrated view of what HR is trying to, is trying to achieve for me is the best thing that I've seen. Uh, that is great. It's that idea of co-creating too and really collaborating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that how you explained it, not going top down, but but side to side and really pulling people into a lot of the great initiatives that, that you're working on as people leaders, as people operations teams, as HR teams. Yes. Co-creation, I, I probably will say it over and over again. And, and intentionality, we'll say it over and over again. Because when you start with the end in mind, you just have a different viewpoint of what you're trying to accomplish and how you get there. So to the extent that people leaders start with the experience you're trying to create, don't start from the survey and then go, what do we do now? But really be intentional about when someone comes to work here, what does that mean, right? What's the experience supposed to be? And do some work around that. Um, One of my favorite things to do with, with HR teams is to have them sit down and think about what is your North Star? So don't start with like, you know, here's a number on the, on the engagement survey. It's, it's a 99. But if it were 99, what would that look like? What would that mean? What would you see? What would people be doing? That's how you start to think about what the experience you want to create is. And then you work backwards to now, how do we get there? How do we get to the experience? So I think that's a, an excellent exercise for anyone to do. Yeah, that's great, right? Don't let the numbers drive where you're going. Pick where you want to go and then get those numbers to follow to get there. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, I think you you have a higher level of success of, of change and getting to where you're trying to go. Awesome. That is really well said. All right. So we're on with Kamaria Scott, founder and CEO of Enetic, joining us here on the HR Works podcast. Kamaria, do you have anything you'd like to share with our audience of HR professionals, anything you're excited about that you have going on? Um, and certainly please share best ways to get in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the the only thing I would want to share with your HR professionals, one is that, um, you know, as I mentioned before, definitely think about your own capabilities to lead change. I think it's really important because we have so many really good initiatives that we are trying to get off the ground and help the organization be better. And to the extent that we can think about how we lead change, we can be that much more effective. Um, I invite you to listen to the podcast, Manager to Manager. Again, it, it's I like to call it my love letter to managers because I definitely feel like if you are having any sort of change in people experience, it absolutely goes through your people leaders. And so this is just an opportunity for people to talk about what works, their lessons learned, and what they bring to life. And if you are if you're leading changes that that are that are 
important to your organization, I would ask you to consider how you can leverage your people leaders as partners throughout that change. And if you need any help and guidance with that, you can absolutely reach out to me at Camaria at EmaticLPS.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can also find me at EmaticLPS.com. So I look forward to hearing from all of you in the future. That's fantastic. What's the best way for our listeners to find the Manager to Manager podcast? It's super easy. Anywhere that you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Podcast Attic, you can also type manager2manager.com into your browser and it will come up its own webpage. So, uh, and you can also find it on my website. So plenty of ways to find it. Brilliant. That's the way to do it. It is. Yes. I will say this too. If you are somebody, if you're an HR person and you know of a, of a manager who you think is fantastic, and you'd love to highlight them on the show, please send me an email and, and, and share their name uh, because I want to make sure that we are highlighting people leaders who are doing great work in all of our organizations. There you go. Let's get them out there. Let's get those great people to the forefront. I love it. Kamari, I've got to ask you now, looking back, is there something you've learned about yourself over the past year that you feel has made you a better leader? Ooh, something I've learned about myself in the past. And you can expand that too. If it's, if it's a few years out, that's okay too. But something you've learned. Um, I think for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reflect on what was shared with me by my team as a couple of things. I think one is um, stay curious. So, you know, my teams always say, come re-ask the best questions because I'm always, I always have a question about what's going on. Um, and, and, and I think to the extent that I, I ask questions, it helps other people reflect as well. And it's a, it's a really good, you know, coaching technique. Um, I would also say I've learned that I am, I'm relatively calm under pressure. Like when, when everything is like, ah, haywire, I'm typically the person who's like, it's going to be okay. We will get through this. This is not a tragedy. In fact, my team, I'll tell you a really quick story, which I uh, carry with me. We, my team, I always say my team is the one on the limb because I always want to do something different. I always want to try something. My, I'm, I'm an experimenter at heart. So my team's going to lean into something we've probably never done before. And so we actually started doing um, virtual instructor-led training way like pre-pandemic, like years before the pandemic. We okay. were like, let's figure out how to do this. And we had this platform that we could put people into breakout rooms. And we know it's so easy to do now, but think back five seconds. Right, right. Um, and, but like some people were on the phone and some people were, were VOIP uh, in. And so we went to, we went to put them into breakout rooms. And they didn't go. And we were like, oh, what happened? And so half the people went and half the people didn't. And little did we know that depending upon how they joined, they could or could not go into the breakout rooms. And so our team de- deemed that the dumpster fire of a situation because now we're like facilitating to two groups of people on us on the call at the same time. Mm-hmm. But from that, we created these backgrounds that, said, have a dumpster fire free day. And it had a picture of like a dumpster fire. So whenever we were in meetings, you'd see like all of my team had like dumpster fires behind them. That's great. But it was funny because, you know, what we learned from that was like, listen, you got to try something. You have to be brave. You have to try something different. And maybe it goes well and maybe it doesn't. But to the extent that you're willing to try it and stay calm, you can get through almost anything. And I think that's what I've learned about myself and the lesson I like I like to pass on to other people is that change is all around us. We will always be doing things we've never done before. But if you can hold steady, if you can kind of laugh about it when it falls down sometimes, you will get through so many things, but you will and you will achieve so many things. That is a great way for us to go out. Thank you, Kamaria Scott, founder and CEO of Anetic. Now, Kamaria, before we let you go, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this final question. This is what we ask all of our guests, and it's built around motivation. 
and I'm yeah. sure you're gonna have a good one on here. When you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor, what is the one thing that gets you motivated to start your day? Oh my goodness, that's a great question. Well, oh gosh, I'm a Capricorn, so I gotta say achievement. I'm always excited yeah. to know <laughs> what am I like? Where will I be at the end of the day? Is something that actually is really exciting for me. Or how much of a project will I get through? What will I accomplish? I think that makes me excited, but also, I think. What am I going to be grateful for today as well? So I try to look at each day as an opportunity to find something to be thankful for, whether it's, you know, I, I got through all my checklists and I, or I drunk my 64 ounces of water. It can be the smallest little thing, but that sense of accomplishment of being like, I didn't waste today. I used today um, to do something for myself, for my business, for my family, that, that moves me. There you go. There's a lot of opportunity once those feet hit the floor. Yes, there is. That's great. Well, look, Kamaria Scott, founder and CEO of Anetic. We met first as you joined us on the HR Now Turnover and Retention panel. But it was great to have you back, have you on the HR Works podcast, and get you introduced to our HR Works audience. So thank you so much for coming on and digging into the employee experience with us. Thank you for having me. I look forward to many more conversations in the future. Oh, we will definitely keep this conversation going. But until next time, thanks, Kamaria, and we'll talk soon. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.